everybody, welcome to another episode of Same Team, an LGBTQ sports podcast. I am your host, Daniel Trainer. How are you? Thank you very much for listening. Appreciate your time as always. Uh, oh, it's a fun one today. I have to say, today's episode was really fun to record for multiple reasons. Uh, my guest, Jack Murley. Jack is a host and a reporter and a commentator. Uh, he does it all for the BBC over in Cornwall uh, across the pond. I, I chatted with him and it was just a thrill for many reasons, uh, probably first and foremost because Jack like myself, and, and you know this if you listen to this podcast at all, uh, is a huge wrestling fan. And so Jack and I geeked out, nerded out about pro wrestling for a very long time. I, I, I sort of cordoned it off. Jack and I sort of talked about wrestling for the second half of the show. So the first half, if you're a non-wrestling fan, I think will be pretty accessible t- uh, for you. At least, hopefully, Jack has a lot of really great stuff. Uh, and then the second half, we just get into wrestling. We just get into the weeds. And if you're a wrestling fan like the two of us, I think there's a lot there. We talk about the current state of pro wrestling, uh, WWE All Elite Wrestling, which just had their first pay-per-view this past weekend. We talk about that, and it's just, it's great. We, we had a wonderful time. We sort of forgot we were recording. So if you're a wrestling fan, hopefully you'll love that. And if you're not, uh, I think if you, you listen, we, we talk about what it's like trying to convert people to pro wrestling. So I, I think if you are a novice, if, if you don't know too much about the world of wrestling, I think it's still really interesting, hopefully, uh, to hear us talk about it. But the first half of the conversation with Jack, we talk about growing up uh, in Cornwall, where he where he did grow up with his family, what the coming out process was like for him. Jack is a openly gay man. He's also the host of the uh, the BBC uh, LGBT sport podcast, which is wonderful. And, and if you don't listen to that, you absolutely should. So Jack uh, talks about why he is so open about his sexuality and and why he does it sort of in his very uh, own subtle way. I think he I think he's very smart about the entire thing and has a lot of very interesting points to make about what it is to be an openly gay journalist in 2019. So uh, without any further ado, let's just get to it. Jack is the best. I had the the most fun talking to him. Uh, so please, without any further ado, the BBC's Jack Murley. <laughs> bit just from you know crossing paths on social media and sort of being in sort of the same sphere a little bit but I, I want to learn more so tell me about where you grew up so I grew up uh, where I am now which is Cornwall which if you know the UK is sort of the bottom sticky out bit where you've got land's end and then nothing but clear blue water between uh, ourselves and your part of the world the United States mm-hmm. and beautiful part of the world very very sports mad family so dad's a rugby player Mum's a PE teacher, so just grew up with sport, just always there. You know when you're in a household and it's just TV's always got sport on. So for us, it's it's football, soccer, um, rugby, cricket, playing a load of sport, doing a load of sport. And so that's always been in my life. And then I was just really lucky. I just sort of fell into getting to talk about it for a living. And people sort of ask how it happened. And I just had so much luck, Dan, honestly, just just thing after thing after thing where I got fortunate enough to meet the right people at the right time. And so ever since I've been talking about sport all all over the UK and it's been brilliant. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've heard you talk a little bit about sort of what you were just saying, luck, in terms of like just being ready to grab an opportunity when it comes. And I think that that's very true. But I mean, you seem like a very driven guy. I mean, you sort of, you know, you have to be ready for the opportunity. But in a lot of ways, I assume you created a lot of them for themselves. I mean, what were you doing growing up? Were you an athlete or, or were you sort of always more focused in, in covering sports? God love you for saying I might have been an athlete. I mean, I'll, I'll well, listen. <laughs> I don't know. What the, I don't know if the youth cricket scene is like in Cornwall. Maybe you were a star. I'll, I'll, no, no. I mean, we we could lie. We could pretend I was. I thought I was. I was all right. I played hockey to a decent level, so I represented the county at hockey. Um, uh, when I was at uni, badminton sort of captain my college. But if if I anyone who knew me would say I was an athlete, that that's just not right. I, I would be stretching the definition. Um, what 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 I did do though is when whenever we were playing, you know, having a kickabout in the park or playing football in the park, I would always be in goal and I'd be commentating on it. So I'd all I always ah. remember that was sort of always there but you don't know how you get into it right you you, you don't know how you turn that sort of passion you sort of got because i never knew anyone who who'd ever made a living from sitting behind a microphone and talking yeah. about sports so that was always a difficult bit but but i guess there is a drive i, I prefer to think of it just you know opportunities come up and and you always say yes because the worst you can do is fail right so you say yes and i've been lucky enough to succeed more than i've failed i suppose most of the journalists that i talk to on here have a similar sort of story and i sort of did the same thing as a kid too where when i would go to like my brother's youth hockey games i would like cover the games i would write about the games i would write recaps for like the parents that i would hand out to them which is horrifying to think about now <laughs> but i would do that kind of thing like i would be in the basement sort of recording myself doing play-by-play -play for for a hockey game or something like that just like you know trying to be this little youth journalist you know were, were you doing that sort of thing growing up I probably was without really realizing it. I've always sort of been confident enough. You know, if you put me on stage to, to act in a play, I was confident in that. So I didn't mind speaking out loud. I didn't mind writing articles. So when I would play hockey, I would write the articles sort of like yourself for the, for the local newspaper and send them in. And I've always been, I've got an older sister and a younger brother and they're science and maths. They're great at that. And I don't have that club in my bag. I'm not able to do that, but I can talk and I do know how to use words. So mm -hmm. I've always been confident and happy doing that. But, um, I go back to, you know, how do you, how do you translate and the other journalists you've had on as well? How do you translate that passion into something that, let's be honest, pays the bills, puts a roof over your head, get, gets petrol in your car? That was always a difficult thing. But I right. suppose on some level that even knowing it, I, I guess I must have been doing it. Yeah. And so then so when do you make the decision to actually go after it? When does it become a thing that you decide, hey, I'm actually going to to pursue this? Okay, so complete fluke. So, you know, I mentioned my dad's a rugby coach and yeah. at the rugby club he was a coach at, they had a little sort of cupboard underneath the stairs by one of the locker rooms. And there's a little community radio station in there. And I'd come out of university with a degree in history and politics. No idea what I wanted to do. Thought <laughs> really? I might okay. want to come to... Yeah, I thought I might want to come to the United States and be the new Josh Lyman. I thought that might be what okay. I wanted to do, okay. like a West Wing path. But turns out little kid from Cornwall can't do that. And so dad said, <laughs> look, you know, he said, you need to do something. So come to this little radio station and just make the tea. And I did that and I was hooked. And then I wrote to my local radio station, the BBC, and was so fortunate enough to, to get about six weeks of work experience with a guy called Ross Ellis, who who gave me my start and taught me everything I know. And this is where I'm talking about luck, because 
he was great. And he could have just said, here's this 21-year-old who knows nothing. Give him six weeks and kick him out the door. But he saw something in me. And then there was a guy called Dick Strawn, who's one of the best commentators I've ever worked with. He was a former Metropolitan Police Officer. You know, he's, he's in his late 40s and he, he, he's someone who, who took me under his wing. So once I had that little bit of work experience, that bug of being behind a mic, that was where that drive came in. And, and from there just never saying no you know do you want to go and commentate on a football match a soccer match for i don't know 10 pounds for five hours work yeah i do actually because that'll lead to something and that'll lead to something else so it was just getting that foot in the door which is so true for so many people yeah it's funny like your story reminds me of what i feel like so many parents tell their kids who are like oh you want to work at the bbc yet just just email them like it'll, yeah, <laughs> I, that's how and, it works, right? You want you want to be on Saturday Night Live? Well, just call Lauren Michaels. And and it's it's what's what that's true, right? Like you, sometimes it is as simple as that. But I'm so fortunate because I was lucky. If it all went wrong, I have folks who could support me, right? I, right? I had that opportunity. If it if it all went really badly, I knew I could go and kip on their sofa, or I'd still have my old room in in my in in the family house, but. I look and there are so many people who don't have those opportunities. So people, you know, I've achieved some some things I'm really proud of. I've had a lot of opportunities I've made myself, but I'm so conscious that there'll be someone who's just as good as me or better who didn't have the financial circumstances, didn't have the health I had, just caught someone on the wrong day. So it's so much luck, so much luck. But, but you are right. You do have to kind of try and knock down the doors when you can. So walk me through uh, where you are in terms of your sexuality during all of this. I mean, you're making all these big strides professionally, but personally, uh, you know, what was it like growing up? Do you know what? It was it was OK growing up for me. And, and by OK, I mean that I never struggled with it. So at the age that that most people start fancying girls, I started fancying guys. And I don't know if it was like someone flicking a switch, but yeah. I never struggled. I never had any confusion. I was always pretty set on set on it you know i knew i fancied guys and and so i knew that internally where it probably was a struggle was what you do with that when you look around and i was the only gay person i knew and it wasn't like i struggled to articulate it i, I knew i was gay but there was no one to look up to mm-hmm. so you you keep it inside and you keep it keep it just just hidden away in there and for me my goal was to get to university so college for yourselves, university here in the UK, which you go to at 18, because my view, rightly or wrongly, was if my folks kick off, if they don't like that I'm gay, I need to know that I have a roof over my, my, my head somewhere else. Right. I know that I can be OK on my own. And so for me, it was I can't tell my parents till I was 18. Yeah. And looking back at that now, you think that's so daft because I've got the best mum and dad in the world. They have been nothing but accepting. But but you do. Right. You, you've got to have a safe space. So having that carried around inside you i try and tell people how it felt for me and i can only speak for myself and other people i'm sure may relate to this but it feels like you've committed a crime that you don't want anyone to feel out find out about that that's sort of how i felt i had this this crime i'd committed you know i didn't want anyone to find out i was gay particularly my parents because i just didn't i didn't have the words to articulate it to them or, or know how they'd respond so uh, I didn't have any breakdowns, didn't have any meltdowns, but I'm sure it had an effect on my relationship with my folks, even if I didn't realize it. 
Yeah, I know, because I, I can relate to that, and I understand that, because I was in a similar boat in the sense that, you know, I, I just felt like I needed to get out of the house just in case something went haywire. And then, but but in a similar sense, I, I sort of knew that my parents were going to be great. And then, you you know, you, you look back on sort of maybe missed time when you were sort of so scared in high school and, you know, 16, 17 years old to, to really fully be yourself you know those those years just kind of float away because you're so closed off and you're so nervous about you know anybody finding out like I, I think your analogy to you know committing a crime is is pretty accurate because you're just like you're so closed off it's almost like you're looking over your shoulder everywhere you go and that doesn't go away right so so I I had that mode of behavior where it was you know I didn't want to give away anything about myself beyond a certain point to my parents because you think well they'll know they'll work out and then you come out but then you're still in that mode of behavior and I'm sure it had an impact on on my relationship with my folks which is as I say is great now and I love them and I've always loved them throughout but I'm sure there were times they wanted to talk to me and I just shut them down and it just wasn't great for them and you know you mentioned how people react I remember one of the worst times was one of my best mates who I've known, you know, you know, the people, you know, since kindergarten, they're always there and that type of thing. And we were playing tennis and a couple of people knew and a couple of people didn't. But I thought I've got to tell him. And so we just finished playing tennis. I said, look, I've, I've got something to tell you. I'm gay. And he looked at me and he went silent. I thought, well, this is it. This is where you find out this guy you've known all along is a homophobe and this relationship's over. And he said, I can't believe you thought I was the type of person who would care you were gay. <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I, you know that I'm offended that you would even think it would bother me. Like, how could you think I was that person? Yeah. And so then you've got the reverse reaction, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> right, which is exactly what you want. Don't treat me differently, but I'm offended you thought I would. And you think, oh, bloody hell, I can't get it right one way or the other. I know. I think it just gets to a point where uh, it's it's not even so much – the secret it's that it's taken so long you know it, it's it's people sort of sort of making it about themselves where they're like well you know how da how dare you finally tell me you know like why didn't you tell me 10 years ago or five years ago and it's like well you know i wasn't necessarily ready but people have an interesting way of making coming out stories about them in, in a and way that i always find humorous and the thing is, as well, I look at it and, you know, I think I first came out to someone at 14 and I where I live now, I drive past the same school I was at and I drive past and I see these kids and I think you're 14. You're yeah. four, I was 14 when you're doing that. And you don't realize when people are like, when did you come out? Well, 14 is nothing. It's absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of things. So all that stuff's going on and you're just a kid. Um, it's it's a, it's amazing sometimes when you look at it that anyone comes out at all. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, who, when you <laughs> at 14, who were you coming out to friends? Just friends. So just yeah. I, I remember I came out to two really close friends and I said, look, just just you two for now. I just want to tell you two. And somehow between telling those two, a third person found out and she <laughs> ran into the math lesson and said, I'm so proud of you. you oh, know, okay. no. Yeah. Tops off the bottle now. There's there's no going back. <laughs> and then you sort of come out by bit and by bit and by bit. And I remember coming out to my family because uh, my sister added me on Facebook. This was right at the start of Facebook. And I thought, well, there's, there's literally no hiding this now. So 
I accepted her friend request and said, oh, by the way, you're going to see some photos on here. And once you get to that stage, the, the sort of snowballs halfway down the mountain, then you can't stop it. Yeah. Oh, man. So, so OK, so you so you get to college and 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 you're studying what would you say history and, and what history and politics. So I did a combined bit of both. So, I mean, are you are you miserable or are you are you just kind of figuring it out? I mean, at what point do you realize, all right, this is not what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. Do you know what it was? It was yeah, I, I have been lucky because once you're at uni, you think, OK, I've, I've got this safe space. I know that if it all goes wrong, I've got a room and a bed and I can stay here and, and I've got a support network around me. And so I think I had in my head psychologically I want to get it done in the first year of, of uni. I want. I just want to get it done now because so many people know. My sister added me on Facebook. She knew. I didn't want her to know and the rest of my family not to know. So I can remember I sat down. I've not told this story anywhere, but I sat down and I was with someone at the time. And so I thought I'm going to write an email to my dad. So I sat down, I wrote an email and I put a couple of photos of my boyfriend at the time in this. And I said, dad, something you should know. And dad's no dummy. You know, dad, dad had access to the home computer and he probably had access to the Google searches. So I was going to say, this, I mean, I think, yeah. I, think my, I think most parents uh, who are questioning whether or not their uh, their son might be gay are pretty adept at using Internet search yeah. history. You, you think you know how to get rid of the cookies and you realize you're just an amateur at this type of thing. So, oh, yeah. so it wasn't a huge shock for him, I'm sure. But, you know, you're writing that email. I remember I sent the email and hit send, just switch the computer off. Literally, if, if I could have thrown the computer in a lake, I would have because <laughs> it was it was done. Right. And then it was a it was a I think a uni function or a ball or something. And I just turned off my phone and I just went. And you and I are both wrestling fans. And, and this is this is a weird screeching U-turn. I can I can remember when it was because it was the Sunday of the Chris Benoit tragedy oh, for wow. people who don't know yet. So I woke up the next morning and it was a Monday. I woke up the next morning and checked my phone. And for people who don't know, I'm sure many people do. Chris Benoit was a hugely popular wrestler who took his life and the lives of his family. And it was one of the biggest things in the world of wrestling. So I turn on my phone, having sent this dad i'm gay here's this email check my phone and suddenly this huge story in the world of wrestling is there as well and it was just like this weird combination of things like i love wrestling i love my family i've just done this big thing and then this huge things happen in the world of wrestling it was very strange dan it was just a very strange time oh for sure so then how long does it take your dad to respond uh he phones i think he i think he either texts the next day or he phones me the next day or something and just says look it's all okay it's it's all fine we don't we don't care it not we don't care in the in a bad way but like everything's okay and i remember my younger brother sent me a text as well saying look dad's basically dad's did what dad's do said i'll take care of this i'll tell your mom i'll tell your brother and my dad my brother texts and it was fine like i'm there were you know a couple of weeks where things get said that, that probably are said just because of the shock, because I, I can't say for all my family, they knew. I can't say that they were all clued up and had put two and two together in the way that some people do. So for some people in the family, it was a bit of a shock. But I do think when you come out, you have to allow for that. But people will sometimes have reactions that in retrospect, they regret. And by and large, after a couple of weeks, it was it was OK. We were back to where we needed to be. And like I said, I had a boyfriend at the time, so that was 
begin to introduce him to the family and that type of thing. So it wasn't long before we were back on an even keel. I mean, I was going to say, you did, you really didn't waste any time. I mean, you're a freshman <laughs> in college and you got a boyfriend already. I mean, I feel like you buried that lead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I should have I should have brought that up front and center. If if it's any consolation, I didn't realize we were on a date on the first date. I thought it was just like a group of mates going out, and then yeah, it was just well, me and my that, mates that and him. Happen, you know, doesn't it? it happens, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it's it's. I'm not proud of that. Like, I'm better at that type of thing now. At least I am able to identify if I am on a date or not. But uh, when yeah, you're 18, you might need these to help happen. me out with that a little bit, Jack. <laughs> Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll give you some tips. Um, uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting talking about your family dynamic and maybe and taking a beat and, and allowing them to process because like you said, I mean, growing up where you did, you were the only gay person around probably. I mean, in some cases, do you think that you were the first gay person that anybody in your family had met or known? I, I, I see, I can't speak to that because I honestly don't know, but what, what, I'm not a parent, but here's here's my take on it. You've got a parents who grow up in the era where on the front page of British newspapers, when there's a gay character in EastEnders, one of our big soaps, mm-hmm. the headline is East Bender, right? And that's 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 common common enough parlance that, that it's it's there. And you've got all sorts of headlines and scare stories. So you've got that bubbling away on one side. And then on the other side of things, you've got you you have a son. And you subconsciously or not think that there are these things your, your child's going to do. They're going to hit milestones. They're going to go to school. They're going to go to college. They're going to get a job. They're going to meet a wife. They're going to have kids. And suddenly there's this screeching halt of, ah, that I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. I think it's understandable if parents sometimes just just have just, just need to take a moment because it's a huge it's a huge thing. Right. It's yeah. it's this thing. And so. Tolerance works both ways. And, and I think when you when you drop big news on anyone, sometimes it can just be a little bit of a surprise to them. But uh, yeah, so, so for me, it was a surprise. But my folks have been great. You know, they, they've just got back from Canada. And the first thing they do when they come in and say, I can't remember where they were. I think it was Ottawa. We just got back from Ottawa. They must have just had pride because we saw all the rainbow and pride flags up. And so <laughs> that, that they couldn't be more supportive. But I think when you do come out, you've got to allow that that sometimes people are just going to need a moment. Yeah. So speaking of people needing a moment, have you have you ran into that professionally? What has your experience been like as an out gay journalist? Have you have you had any issues? Do you know what? It's 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 got more since we launched our podcast. And and, um, when, when I first started, I was never in like what what my my thought was like once I'm out, I'm out. Okay, that's 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 just the way it is. I'm never going to lie. I'm never going to do that because that's just, I'm, I'm too gobby as a person, to be honest. I, I'm just that way inclined. So I never had it with anyone I worked with in the world of sport. You would hear people use gay as a euphemism or, or as kind of a synonym for bad. You would hear that. You'd hear things on the pitch, but nothing really aimed at me personally. Uh, since we started the podcast, oh my god, it's got horrendous. You get keyboard warriors throwing stuff at you. You get texts, unsolicited mm-hmm. emails. The the bigger issue that that, that I've had is is the non sports stuff because I also do um broadcasting for sort of news and current affairs. Yeah. And when you just are talking and you mention you have a boyfriend in the same way someone might mention they have a girlfriend, that will trigger people. That will trigger. I I know every time I mention it on air, I'll get emails and text messages and tweets. It just it just comes with it. But the alternative to me of of pretending is so unthinkable that 
I'm willing to take that. And maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I'm maybe I'm looking at it the wrong way around. But my view is that if I do it now and it brings me a bit of abuse, that 10 years down the line, someone else should be able to do it and it'll bring them less abuse. So do I get it? Yeah. And I get it a lot more now than I ever used to. But that's probably because I'm just more prominent and more out there and it comes with the territory. Well, and I think the the people who are going to be giving you the feedback are the ones who have an issue with it. I, I think of your story and I think about you know, you or I is as a kid growing up, seeing somebody on the news talking about their boyfriend or their husband or something, and probably not having the means to get in touch with you, not really knowing how, and, and maybe not really even wanting to. But as a, as a closeted kid who might be listening to your podcast or listening to, you know, read the news, I think that that's where the impact is being had. The unfortunate thing about that is that you're probably not really hearing about that. You probably will in about a decade, you know, when, when these people are 20 years old and say, oh my God, your podcast or oh my God, just, just hearing you talk so openly about yourself was huge for me. It's, it's like, it's almost like you got to wait <laughs> like for, for an era of, of, of people to grow up almost to probably realize the impact that you're having. And it's also talking about it incidentally, like, well, right. Yeah. I, would, I, yeah, I was going to say that too. Yeah. When, when you grow up, I don't know what it was like for you, but when I was growing up, any gay storyline on TV was either a coming out drama or someone being rejected by their family. I, I never heard any radio people I would listen to just say, oh, I was with my boyfriend or a female presenter said, oh, no, I was with my girlfriend at the shop the other day and you won't believe who we, but you'd never hear it. People were always de-sex. So it was with my partner, with the other half, with whoever. And I used, and, and it never used to bother me, but now I'm in the industry. I hate that phrase, in the industry. Now I'm doing what I do. I, 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 it, it really frustrates me that people that I know uh, LGBT feel they need to hide it. And that, that sort of is a frustration. I sort of look around and go, where is everyone? Where's everyone else? Why, mm -hmm. why am I getting the flack? And, 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 you know, I'm doing a very small thing, but you do think, God, if more people were just open about the fact they had a boyfriend rather than just de-sexing them or doing that, that maybe I'd be getting a bit less of it. But, you know, I'll put the violin away now. That's enough of the poor me act. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> these colleagues that you speak of, I mean, what is their rationale? Are, are they doing it because they just don't want that to be a part of their story or are they sort of scared of the backlash? Cause there's that argument where, where it's like, well, you know, I, I want to be taken on my own merits. I, I don't need my sexuality to be part of this. And I, I sort of fall where you are, where it's like, well, it's, it's not really, I, I'm just mentioning the fact that I have a boyfriend. I'm not making this my whole story. Are, are the people scared of, of what might happen or are they just, they don't feel like they need to do it. Do you know what? I, I, I honestly don't know. And when I'm speaking about colleagues, I'm speaking like in the broadest sense, like generally the yeah, industry sure, sure. In, the, in, in, in the UK. But I, I honestly don't know. I mean, I can see why they'd see some of the reactions I get and think, oh, blimey, I don't I don't want any part of that we'll for let, myself. We'll let him deal with all of it. It's <laughs> yeah, fine. Yeah, I, I, can, I, I can see why that would be something that people would want because it is lonely when you're doing it. But my view as well is on the shows I host that aren't sport related – we ask people really personal questions. So, you know, we might be asking listeners to phone in to talk about their experiences of bereavement or of, um, you know, losing loved ones or the times they had financial problems. And we're asking them to share and to come on and speak to a whole room of, of, of producers and production staff and then a whole listenership around the country, around the world and to open up. Now, the least I can do as a host is be as honest with them, right? Like, mm -hmm. now there, there's some things I won't do it about. You you won't see if you follow me on social media. You won't see 
um, very many pictures of, of my nephews because they don't have a choice in whether they're open about that. So it's not for me to to do. You know, I've got two two young nephews. I don't put photos of them over social media because that that's that's not my life. That's a different part of my life. But, yeah. but as far as my life is concerned, if I'm asking people to phone up and tell me really personal stories, the least I can do is be open about about myself with them. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. I mean, when you're when you're around vulnerability like that on on a daily basis, it must feel uh, pretty impossible to to hide at all. Yeah, and and also, you know, it's I, I we've had this conversation before in places I've worked where people say, do you know, do you, do you think you're do you think you're putting yourself out there? And you actually look at no, I'm not putting myself out there. The fact I fancy men and not women is one of the least interesting things about me. It's <laughs> it's incidental. So let's just call a spade a spade and move on. And, 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 and here's the other thing. This sounds quite negative about audiences. Sometimes audiences can surprise you. You will get people who you, who you never knew were LGBT. So actually I heard you talking and, and now I feel empowered to talk about my wife, about my husband, about what my experiences were. And, and there's a danger that sometimes people feel the audience can't cope with something so they never even give them the opportunity to prove they can does that make sense yeah it totally makes sense yeah i i think a lot of credit needs to be given due to uh you know just just people in general and i think it's people like you who are who are out there sort of changing minds on on a daily basis i mean on whatever scale it is i think just I think the normalcy of the way that you approach it is is really what's going to change minds for for the better. I, I at least I hope so. I mean, I you know I I, I think if you can just start making it uh, just just very every day and very normal, I think that's when people are going to be like, oh okay. I mean, he's just like me. Yeah, that that that's the goal, right? And please if you hate me hate me for any other number of reasons <laughs> hate me because hate me because the way my voice sounds hate you don't like the music i play you can think i'm a crap commentator that's all legit like i got no problem with that you pay your license fee you take your choice on that but yeah. don't don't not for something as daft as the fact i fancy blokes not women come on now. <laughs> i agree so i mean so walk me through sort of a, a, a typical week for you i mean because you're you're doing so much and and your talents are so sort of widespread i mean i i suppose saying typical week is uh is maybe a bit of a misnomer there's no such thing as a typical week for you probably but you know monday to friday you know and you're doing stuff on the weekends as well obviously what are you what are you doing every day yeah do, do you know what you're, you're sort of right there, there there's a broad structure and there's a structure you hope that you're going to stick to when you come in of the morning um it will be out the window mostly by you, you got your set things you know you have to do so i know where my weekend shows are i know I've, if i don't hit those i'm going to get fired so i better be on air at those specific times a lot of it is planning a lot of it for the podcast is as i'm sure you know for yours it's ringing round it's finding people on social media it's trying to get stuff set up for that mm -hmm. if i've got big commentaries coming up um you know, people think when you do a commentary, you just sort of wing it. There is so many evenings and, and days where you're just sat finding out the most arcane statistics about <laughs> players who they're never. The amount I could tell you about players I've, who have just been on the bench and never introduced to rugby games. But I know their degrees because you never know. Right? You're, ready, you're so, ready to go. Oh, and, and it has happened. There's, the, the time you don't have the research is a time that, that you fall on your backside, you yeah, know, and, and it has saved me. So there's a lot of that going on. There's a lot of, you know, with new audiences and younger audiences and trying to work out how we appeal to them. There's a lot of social media and digital content production. Um, and then there's also 
trying to think sort of down the line like okay what are our big things we want to hit what what do i want my show to sound like in six months time you know in my last job working in the channel islands i knew the commonwealth games were coming up which probably aren't as big in the united states but for for australia new zealand the uk that they're big sport multi-sports events so Mm -hmm. we had teams and athletes going to that so it's trying to build those relationships with them so um, th- there really is no average day. And, you know, we're speaking on the day where um, Theresa May has just resigned in yep. the UK, announced her resignation. So you go in and you've got a day planned and that'll happen. You know, yep. I've, I've done shows where I had a whole show planned out and literally 10 minutes before we went on air once there were terrorist attacks at, at an airport in Belgium. And then everything you've got planned goes out the window and you're just trying to get a show on air that, that fits the tone and fits the day. That's why I love it. You know, that that unpredictability and the fact you get to talk to people for a living is why it's the best job in the world. But you were right when you said, is there an average day that there isn't? Yeah, that unpredictability of it is is, you know, is frustrating in the moment. But that's what makes it great. Right. I mean, that's why you do it. The just the the unpredictability of what's going to happen when you walk in the door every morning. Oh, a hundred, a hundred percent. And, and I, I know how lucky, how, how many times I said lucky in this podcast, right? I'm, I'm rushing to double digits. Not enough. Well, I'll say it again. I'm so lucky because I, <laughs> everyone loves their job. Hopefully if, if you're really fortunate, you love your job. I drive past accountants and I drive past office workers and don't get me wrong. That's worthy work and it's great work. And some people love it, but I thank my lucky stars each day that I don't know what my day is going to hold, that I don't have to wear a suit, that it could be any number of things. I mean, it is the best thing in the world. So uh, of the many things that you do to put you on the spot, what is what is your favorite thing that you get to do? And, and what has been overall your, your favorite experience? Wow. OK, that's that is a really good question. Oh, you're going to nail me down to one. My fa- my favorite thing to do is to commentate on sporting events and mm-hmm. I've, I've been lucky enough to be on the scene of some brilliant – there is no better feeling if you love your sport than being in the booth, microphone on, uh, you know, London Irish are leading the Jersey Reds in a game of rugby. They're leading by three points. Full time is over. There's one more play to try and win it. Jersey have the ball. Can they get it done? And there's no better feeling than getting your commentary right and just knowing you've got the right words for the action. It doesn't happen often. But that feeling is like lightning in a bottle. So I've I've loved doing that. I've been fortunate enough to go to Twickenham and commentate at Twickenham, the FA Cup, huge football games. Um, and, and when the Olympic torch came to the UK in London 2012, I got to hold that. I mean, if you told a kid like, like me that I'd be holding the Olympic torch and describing that coming through Cornwall, I mean, I would have just not flat out not believed you. So ask me today that's the answer you get ask me tomorrow it'll be something entirely different i'll, I'll ring you up again tomorrow and see what you said <laughs> so actually dan i changed my mind i've got something else i want to tell you <laughs> uh all right so so tell me about how wrestling comes into your life oh okay so wrestling is one of my huge pa- and you mentioned broadcasting i think i owe my career to jim ross good old jr who oh is oh my god just just if you can't learn how to be a commentator by listening to Jim Ross. So I in the UK, WWE is on Sky, which is a paid television platform. And when yeah. we were growing up, we didn't have it. And I remember flicking through the TV channels and getting Sunday Night Heat, which was broadcast here at about three o'clock in the afternoon. Well, so this, is, know- this is one of my this is one of my broad questions for you. And this might make me sound silly, but. How I mean, how do you watch wrestling over there just in terms of the time difference and stuff? I mean, when are so what time are like pay-per-views airing now? 
So pay-per-views here in the UK air at about 1 a.m., so 1 in the morning our time, uh, which is why, you know, stuff like the Super Showdown, regardless of what you think politically about WWE going to Saudi Arabia, the fact that it's on 5 o'clock in the afternoon our time, British fans are over the moon. So, <laughs> oh, that's, oh so, man. But when so when I was growing up, we I could only see I can tell you exactly I could see Sunday night heat and then I we probably shouldn't have taped it off the television but we did and at one a.m. we would tape off four times a year we'd get shows that were kind of on free television we'd get the Royal Rumble we'd get Backlash we'd get No Mercy and we'd get Armageddon so those were our huh, four what a strange four I know and I think it's because Sky didn't pick up the rights to them I could be wrong so. Here I am, a kid, stumbling across wrestling, and Jim Ross gets me invested, and I don't know what the hell is going on, but I'm liking what I'm seeing. And then there's this evil Vince McMahon guy, and I'm a, I'm a kid. I'm thinking, is this real? He's you know he's he's having his car filled up with concrete. This can't be right. And who's this Steve Austin guy? And I am the most mild-mannered person you'd meet, but I was hooked. And then I got smarter and smarter to the business, and mm-hmm. most people grow out of it. For me, it has just always been there, and it is something my family don't understand, <laughs> uh, my, my friends don't understand. I am the, the complete black sheep, but I love wrestling so much. You're in a safe space here, Jack, so we can, <laughs> we're free to discuss openly openly, and, uh, and, and freely. I think what's interesting to me about being a pro wrestling fan now in my 30s is that, like you just said, you know, a lot of people watch growing up and then a lot of people grow out of it. But the people who don't, don't grow out of it for a reason and have stuck around and are maniacal about it, right? And oh, so uh, yeah. if, you, if you're still watching in your 30s, which I very much defend, I mean, uh, the entire conversation about WWE is, is extensive and complicated and whatever, but just pro wrestling as an institution, I will defend to the death. And so I think if you've made it this far, if you're still watching, it's it's such a part of your life that it's just so exciting to talk about. And when you find somebody who shares that passion, it's just like you found like a kindred spirit, you know? It's it's just the most exciting thing in the world. Like when you find out that like a new friend like watches wrestling, it's like, "Oh my, it's like we're soulmates." <laughs> and you've got that weird feeling out process where you try and work out how much of a fan oh, they are. For so you sure. dr- you drop a rock reference and they sort of get it and you say, okay, they know who the rock is. They might know who triple H is. And then you drop in a Daniel Bryan and okay, they know who Daniel Bryan is. Mm-hmm. So do they know who Brian Danielson is? Do they know the American <laughs> dragon? And you, fu- right. I was at the raw, I was at the raw taping in London a couple of weeks back yeah, and it was there. They were just there and I was on the tube and it was so funny because the closer you'd get to where the, the venue, the O2 arena, you'd see more and more t-shirts. But when we were all spread out on the tube, everyone was sort of giving each other the eye and a sly, yes. sly nod saying, I know where you're going. Once we all got into the O2 arena, you know, people are cutting Hogan impressions. People are dressed as Randy Savage. There were three Earl Hebner lookalikes having a beer. And it's this <laughs> weird, wacky world. And you just think, oh, we're all together now. We can breathe. We're all fans in this space. It's it's just, it's it's unlike anything else. And I think for you, I mean, I think you'll, you're able to relate to this, but, you know, I'm a huge sports guy, but also just I love the world of entertainment. And it goes without saying that, you know, pro wrestling is sports entertainment. And it's really the only thing that combines those two. In many ways, it feels like both sides of my brain sort of coalesce in the middle and there is pro wrestling. And when you try and explain it to people, and not the people who just tell you, oh, it's fake, you know it's fake, because they, they don't want to know. They, they, they just want to prove a point. But when people genuinely want to know, it's hard to explain why it gets – it's hard to explain why – 
why like why watching Kurt Angle throw a perfect German suplex is something that gives wrestling fans such chills or why you can watch a 20 minute technical masterpiece like we have between AJ Styles and Seth Rollins. It's hard to explain yeah. it unless people are willing to open their minds. But my God, when you see good wrestling, don't you just know? And isn't there more of it about than ever before? Well, absolutely. I mean, we're speaking here on Friday on the eve of the first All Elite Wrestling pay-per-view tomorrow with your uh, uh, your your old buddy Jim Ross on oh, yes. on the announce crew. I mean, it's it's really exciting. I mean, it feels like professional wrestling is at this place where anything could really happen. And and I think in the next five years, it, anything will. I mean, it's going to be really fascinating to see where things go. And I'm so lucky here living in LA where there's so much independent wrestling. I mean, every weekend I could go see a show at a Legion Hall or or some weird theater or some weird place downtown. And, and you walk in and, and, and talk about, you know, finding your people. I mean, you show up to some strange like American Legion Hall in a suburb of LA and all of a sudden there's people in wrestling shirts and you're like what is going on <laughs> but it's the best and then you're all crammed into this thing you're all watching this thing and it's just it's a, it's a sense of sort of community that is is hard to replicate it's funny though that you say uh it's hard to explain why it's good and and, and interesting to people because I, I tried something last weekend. So for Money in the Bank, uh, for those of you who don't know wrestling and are still listening to this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, why? Why, why? Are you still would you go do point? something else? Uh, <laughs> Money in the Bank is this big pay-per-view that WWE had last weekend. And part of it, sort of the crux of the event, is these two ladder matches, uh, one for men, one for women. There's also a steel cage match on the show. So I have a friend of mine who has always sort of been like, I don't get wrestling. I don't really understand why you like it, but I'm sort of interested in trying to figure it out. So I said, this show might be good for you because there's going to be ladders. <laughs> and there's going to be a steel <laughs> cage, and there'll be stuff to keep you interested because like you said the aj seth match which was so good i think from an outsider's perspective is maybe tough to get into because you don't really know who these guys are you don't really have an appreciation for what they're doing but when people are bouncing off ladders well that's cool you know i can understand why that's interesting so it was this thing of like my friend was watching with me and sort of saying well i can i can just tell like i can just tell that they're not punching i'm like well okay I, 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 me too. Like, yeah. I, I know, yeah. like it's, you know, you have to get past that. You're like, I, I understand that. I know that this is not real. Like, I know that this is, you know, quote unquote fake. I understand the winner's predetermined. I, you have to be able to suspend some disbelief and just like get on board with this. And it's funny how hard that is for some people. And I can't judge that because I can, I can get it. If you, if you don't watch it your entire life and you don't really care, you're like, why am I watching these people fake fight? Like my friend was like, I would rather just watch like UFC. And I'm like, well, okay, but then you try to get into, well, the stories and the characters and all, but this guy's, this guy's dad got involved at WrestleMania and you're like, and he's like, okay. <laughs> and you just, they, you they, end up point, feeling there, crazy. Right? It's just like, yeah, you just you just say, look, you're either going to go with this or, or you're not. But the thing the thing that I find really strange is that that you've got the same people who sort of and not always, but the same people who who, who dismiss wrestling quite often are huge Game of Thrones fans, for example. Let's throw one out <laughs> right. there, and they they'll quite happily, you know, you don't go around and I don't watch Game of Thrones, so I'm going to annoy a whole new audience. Oh but you don't go. God, wow. 
Well, you, you don't look and go, well, you know, they're not really a Lannister. You know, not they're not really a Stark. And you know, that guy was actually in that type. And, you know, that's not even real blood. And, <laughs> you know, so explain to me how this person knows that. But you know, how anyone can watch Game of Thrones and accept that, but not understand the relationship between the McMahons. It just seems like their mind is closed off before they start. Because the McMahons is simple compared to Game of Thrones. Oh, for sure. I know it is that thing of just being like, I know that this is a story. Like, it's a soap opera. Like, when you watch watch a movie when you watch a tv show like you're saying it's it's the same thing but these people uh you know just beat each other up and it's fun like it's part of the thing it's it, it, it's funny how some people are just i think because it's it's you know a sport from the outside when you're watching it it's it's athletic it's it, it's these people doing athletic things it's hard for some people to realize that there's more to it than than that and like i said i can understand having a hard time with that if you're if you're not well versed in the universe yeah and and i think particularly nowadays when you when you look as well there's so much wrestling going on but yeah i mean i think even from an entertainment point of view put someone in front of a will osprey ricochet match or put them in front of of you know you could show them some of the old attitude era stuff frankly just just i think sometimes the crowd reaction like i think mm-hmm. you know show someone money in the bank where cm punk cashes in and 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 you know beats john cena and then skips out of town even if you're not a wrestling fan the reaction in that arena in chicago you know something's happening right and i think some Sometimes if you take these people to an arena, if you're fortunate enough to do it, and yeah. I, you know, I've had friends who gone to live shows in the UK, even if they didn't get wrestling, the pyro's there, the lights are there, the music's going off. You've got the lights suddenly dim. People are, I mean, imagine how confusing it is if you don't know who Ric Flair is and you go to an arena and suddenly <laughs> everyone's doing these really high-pitched woos. I mean, you can yeah. get why they're thrown. Yeah, I always tell people that, to try and go see it live, and I'm, I'm always trying to get people to come with me because I, I think once you do that, you can get very hooked because um, just seeing it live is incredible. And we're, like, you know, you mentioned you know, Osprey, Ricochet, whoever, I think we're sort of in an era now where there are guys that I can point to. And I think Ricochet is, is maybe at the top of that list in terms of, all right, if you want to watch something cool and if you want sort of a window into why this is good, I'm going to show you a Ricochet match. And it's cool now that those those guys are, are in WWE because obviously, you know, a, a decade ago that wasn't really the case. But now that sort of indie guys are, are, are making names for themselves in NXT and WWE, I think it's it just all feels a little bit cooler. And I think there's there's more of a window for people to find to find their way. And I, and I think you're right with AEW as well. I think you look at, you know, I, I was watching on Twitter and, and you see that, that in, I don't know what basketball match it was, but you suddenly see uh, AEW's <laughs> TNT show being plugged yeah. by Marv Alba and you think, okay, the Young Bucks are on on proper, t- you know, they're not just selling T-shirts mm-hmm. out of the back of, of their, their hatchback. They're proper, they've made it. And and I think it's good for the, you know, I'm not someone who, who I, I love WWE, but I want AEW to succeed. I want Ring of Honor yeah. to succeed. I want the competition. Um, if anything, there's almost a bit too much wrestling. Like, God love the athletes on 205 Live, but I haven't <laughs> watched an episode of that for months because it's, yeah. I've got a life. I've got stuff to do. There's just too much. I know. Yeah. Um, I, and I think we're in a place where all these companies can succeed independently from each other, which I, which I think is exciting. And if nothing else, I think AEW is going to push WWE to be better. I hope as however much they might not want to acknowledge that anything is happening over there. I think, you know, of course they're aware. And I think of course it's going to make them, you know, work a little bit harder and be on their toes. I think I'm fascinated to see how AEW does what it sort of becomes and, and how it 
kind of evolves. It's it's a very exciting time. Uh, so w- where are you right now in terms of WWE? How are you feeling about the product? Who are your guys? And sort of moving forward, where do you think things are, are headed? I think WWE is in that traditional post-mania lull. I think that it's always existed. They've always had mania, the roar after mania, and it's gone on a little bit of a downward trajectory, which I understand when you're a 365-day-a-year company. I think that you're going to have lulls creatively. I think that it's interesting some of the things they're trying to do, and I can't quite understand why you'd have a 24-7 title. And and again, if you're listening to this and you don't like wrestling, I'm not even going to bother to try and explain the concept <laughs> yeah, of that. Even, that just, it's not worth it. It's like when I tried... I, I I was even struggling last weekend to explain what the money in the bank briefcase was. And I felt <laughs> crazy. I was like, okay, so it's a ladder match and you climb and there's a briefcase over the ring and you have to grab it and you have to pull it down. And if you get that, then you get uh, a title shot, a guaranteed title shot for like a year. And you can do whatever you want. They could do it that night. <laughs> they could do it tomorrow night. They could do it whenever. They don't even have to announce. And my friend's like, what? Okay. <laughs> And, and then you try and re- you try and relate that to a real world example, and you realize it's futile. You oh, yeah, it's uh, not. Ima- imagine you want a promotion at work, and then someone's won a contract that means they can get that. Pro- <laughs> so you just can't do it. You have to. But here's the interesting thing: I, w- I was about to go on. Oh, I think WWE is in a bit of a lull, right? Yeah. And I suppose what WWE is doing really smart is that okay. Me as a fan, not watching as much Raw and SmackDown as I want to, but tell me about the Takeover 25 card. And I am so pumped up about that. Johnny Mm -hmm. Gargano against Adam Cole, the ladder match for the tag titles. You're going to have Velveteen Dream against Tyler Breeze. I mean, you know, know I know you're a big Tyler Breeze, Mark. So look, look at him. Just look at him, for goodness sake. What a a fascinating trajectory he's had in the company. I mean, very weird and unheard of. Like, it's 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 very bizarre, but I love it. But isn't it also the case that, you know, when people say, so where do you think WWE is? WWE is such a such a huge goliath in the industry that actually I can abandon to a degree two sets of their prime product. And I'm still <laughs> going to monetize them by watching a third product, which I think is the bee's knees. I think takeovers are consistently brilliant. And there's never so, been a bad one. And there's never been a bad one. So you look at it and you think, all right. Are WWE firing on all cylinders for me? Probably not, but I'm not going to cancel the network because I want to watch the takeovers and I'm fascinated to see how they evolve. And I'm, I'm really interested with my broadcasting hat on to see how going to Fox in the fall is going to affect SmackDown and things like that. So it's, it's, and it's when a company is so embedded in the DNA of one man, Vince McMahon, never wish ill on anyone, but he's not going to be there forever that's going to be a really interesting point when Vince McMahon either decides to go off and do the XFL full time or steps away from WWE. I mean, who knows what that's going to lead to? I mean, I know. And there's so much excitement about the fact that once Vince steps down, it's going to be Triple H's company to run. And I assume that that is mostly true. But I, I, I struggle with the idea that like it's just going to become NXT all the time and everything's going to be incredible. I think, you know, taking a step back, I think there's a lot of realization that needs to happen when it it's like, well, this is also a, a business, you know, like what's happening on Fox, especially in, in October when SmackDown goes there is going to be really interesting, I think, because I, I don't, I, I just worry that the product is going to get so watered down in a sense to please, you know, these new big 
bosses. It's just, it's, the future is interesting. I just, you know, like I said, there's a lot of people excited about Triple H maybe one day being the guy, and and I am excited about that too, just based on what he's done. But uh, I struggle to think that, you know, the day he takes over things, no pun intended, uh, are going to just completely change for the better. And there's the assumption as well that WWE will always be primarily a company where the McMahons or Triple H um, are, are the ones who are in control. You know, we've seen stranger things happen in the corporate world. It might be that a corporate entity decides it wants to buy WWE and WWE becomes an entity within a bigger entity. I mean, we, we saw it happen with UFC when there was a, a buyout there. Mm-hmm. It is not inconceivable that, that another company could buy WWE and suddenly the dynamics change entirely. So I think when Vince decides to go for whatever reason, that is going to be a fascinating time for the industry that he has dominated for, for, for you know, my lifetime and the lifetime of many others. I know. I mean, you think about, I mean, Vince as a guy, and there's a, there's a lot that you can, there's a lot you can say about him. There's a lot you can say about the McMahon family. But when you think about one person really who was responsible for bringing so much joy and content into my life i mean there's nobody else that even comes close i mean my entire life multiple days a week every day of the week thinking about it like it's 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 wrestling all the time i mean it's crazy to think the impact that he has had on my life wouldn't you love to just get half an hour with him I mean, maybe not no, in this pod. Be, maybe, no, maybe this is. I would be terrified. He would like. I, I don't even know. I, I mean, I don't even know what I would ask him. I mean, what a fascinating, scary <laughs> guy. It, I don't know. It's. I mean, yes, I would love to have half an hour to sit down with him, but I don't. I think I would just be scared. I, I, I've had people say, I'm sure you've had it as well. You know, what would your dream dinner party be? And they say, we'll give you four people, and you know, you're always expecting. I'd have Einstein, Marie Curie, Mozart, and whoever. And I always say, I'd want Vince McMahon, Eric Bischoff, Paul Heyman, and Jim Cornette. And I would do nothing but just sit there and listen and keep the liquor flowing and oh just see what stories you could hear. I know. I God, that yeah, that sounds incredible. It's just it's uh it's he's just such a monolith, and I don't know. And like also, I mean, he's an old man. Man, but he's he I just don't think he's going anywhere until he absolutely has to I mean he's going to be around for at least another like 10 or 15 years right and and why wouldn't you when if, if you love it so much and it's what you've built up and it is it is his empire if he wants to have a dot move to a certain point on an eye or if he wants to ring lights change from from deep red to light red he can click his fingers and get it done. He, he rules the roost there. So yeah. what better gig is Vince McMahon going to get than being Vince McMahon? And he, he will never be able to have his hands off. I mean, even if he leaves, he'll be in his old folks home calling up on Monday nights, you know, complaining about <laughs> the way that the show was booked. I mean, like he's never going away until he actually goes away. Uh, yeah, absolutely. God bless him for it, I guess. Uh so how do you who are your guys right now? Who are you excited about in, in WWE? Do you know what I, I know that this is a cliched answer, but being in London and seeing the reaction Becky Lynch got, I just think her and Charlotte Flair are gonna be the new rock and triple H. You can put them together in any combination. I, I think there's even further they can go. I look at people like Matt Riddle, I think is fantastic, and I think he's got a long way to go. Velveteen Dream, Ricochet, Alistair Black. I just love all those guys. I think Finn Balor is going to be a main event player for many, many years. I'd love to see them do more with the club as well. I mean, you, you look at, you asked me for one, right? I've just given you a whole list of people. My my frustration is 
you 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 look at people like Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, and they're just not getting the the main event treatment that I think they deserve. I sound like a proper mark of a wrestling fan now because <laughs> that's that's what we always say. But WWE's roster is 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 good. Like it's really 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 I mean, good. It's I mean, never there's no way it's ever been better, right? No, not at all. And and you could look at it. And I was talking to a mate the other day, and you think, okay, Dolph Ziggler's back and challenging for the WWE title. I know. Fine. Okay. If he wasn't there, you could have Sami Zayn. You could have Kevin Owens do it. You could. You've got all this amazing, amazing talent. And I just hope that they all get the opportunities they deserve. But I mean, imagine being someone like the Booker of that, being given free reign to put oh, those stories. A dream. I mean, I would just have, I would have had Alistair Black win Money in the Bank and just had him be an assassin type character, just stalk Kofi Kingston, just play mind games the whole way. The only thing I don't want to happen, and again, I, I, I apologize so much to your listeners who aren't wrestling fans. Oh, they're but, gone. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just us now. It's just point. us but, now. Uh, Jack, no, I don't think anybody's listening. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, then we'll just carry on on this. That's I just, fine. I just, the one thing that I really, I don't know if I want to see is the New Day split up. I don't, I don't want to see uh, yeah. Xavier Woods or Big E just slam a trombone into the back of Kofi Kingston and cost it. I'm not sure psychologically. I mean, it would be amazing. The heel heat you get off that would be I know. extraordinary. But emotionally, I'm not sure I'm ready for it. it. Yeah, that is interesting. Although, I mean, the idea of like kind of like a Big E, Kofi, like main event feud is sort of tantalizing in a way. I mean, just to think about everything that could happen there. And also like, you know, it's WWE. They could do that. And then a month later, you know, they're best friends again. Oh, absolutely. And and I was having this conversation with a friend before WrestleMania and I was saying, I want Kofi to win. I want Kofi to have his moment. But where could you get a better reaction for turning someone than at WrestleMania? Kofi just about to get the pinfall. Oh, man. And suddenly he's cost by his brothers who were particularly with the gauntlet story leading up to the main event where they'd sacrifice their bodies to get this man. the. You could see the jealousy, the kernel there that you could build a story upon. But yeah. luckily it didn't happen and we got the nice moment. So, you know, you you said you wanted Alistair uh, to win Money in the Bank. I'm assuming if you were booking, you wouldn't have booked Brock Lesnar to win? Well, I mean, where do we start with that one? I mean, here's, here's, here's what I would say. When I was watching as a fan and I heard Brock Lesnar's music hit, I absolutely popped. I just every, wasn't I expecting it. Every time. I get it, I get excited every time. It, the Brock Lesnar thing is, is I, I have a lot to, I don't even know. I, I have so much to say about it. I don't really even know how I feel. But yeah, continue, please. I, I, well, all, all I think is that if Brock Lesnar won the money in the bank and then was there sort of, you know, didn't do anything with it for seven months, eight months, you forgot he had it. Okay, I'd buy into that. If, as I suspect, he's won money in the bank just so he can cash oh, in God. with Seth Rollins in Saudi Arabia at Super Showdown, then what a waste of a storyline opportunity. That That's sort of my view. I want to give it a chance, but the way they're leading me to believe, I'm not sure I'm going to like the outcome. I know. that That's kind of where I am, too. I think, you know, like I said, when you hear his music and he comes out, it's, it's still exciting. And, like, you know, Brock, say what you want about him. Most of the time he's putting on a, a pretty damn good show. But, you know, it, I know it is that thing where I think Brock with the briefcase could potentially be pretty exciting. But I, I think we're just headed to, you know, a Saudi Arabia match. And it's, it's going to be just depressing when you think about all of the, the talent in that match that could have used it. I mean, Andrade, I mean, 
I don't know that Finn needs the briefcase, but Ricochet, you know, just uh, such a, a chance to make a star in this match where all of your young guys are showing out the future is bright, and here comes Brock Lesnar. I think it's inevitably a bit of a, a bummer. And is anyone hotter than Sami Zayn right now? I mean, oh. like I say, just just I I was one of those people when they turned Sami Zayn heel. I mean, it's a bit like turning Bambi heel when that happened, and you think, well, they can't they can't make Sami Zayn a bad guy. And my God, hasn't he been a revelation? And you He's watch amazing. it and you think, and can you imagine how annoying in the best sense of the word he would be with that briefcase? Mm-hmm. Just what you could have done with that would have been incredible. I mean, luckily, Sammy's still a fairly young guy in the industry. I suspect that he's going to get the rocket attached to him in the not too distant future. If, if, if I was booking, certainly that would be my plan with him. But yeah, you just think maybe it's WWE changing what that briefcase is meant to mean because it's not cashed in as successfully as much anymore. It's not the type of thing you hold, you know, for, for months and months and months. Maybe that's just WWE changing what they want it to mean. And as fans, we have to accept that. But yeah, I, I can't deny I was excited when I heard Brock come out. I was just disappointed to see him win the whole thing. Yeah. I, yeah, I think we're in the, I think we're in the same space there. Well, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's undeniably a very exciting time to be a wrestling fan with everything that's, that's happening. Are you going to be watching, uh, double or nothing tomorrow? So here's the thing, like we were talking about, about pay-per-view times earlier, it's on at one, 1 a.m. in the morning and I do a show on Sunday morning. So the show I do on Sunday morning, there's unlikely to be any crossover with wrestling spoilers. So I'm going to avoid it on Twitter. I'm going to just literally switch off on Saturday night and then come home. I I know. And I've, I've all the people I know who like wrestling. So I'm including you in this. Don't message me. Don't tell me. (laughs) Don't even hint at it because I can't even. Uh, like with WrestleMania, the BBC doesn't really care about wrestling, but it put that on its front page when Becky Lynch won the belt. Mm. I know I don't have to worry about that, but my plan is to try and make it unscathed through till about, I don't know, Sunday afternoon and then just sit in and watch it play out live, which is quite nice as a fan because usually things get spoiled for you. But yeah. it's hell being on this side of the world, Dan. You know, when pay-per-views are going on at 1 a.m., you the amount of things you get spoiled. Oh, God, I can't even imagine. I mean, I know what it's like trying to avoid those landmines. Like if I'm if I can't watch a show like a pay-per-view on a Sunday night for some reason and my plan is to watch on Monday night, like when I get home from work or whatever it uh it's it's terrifying i feel i all day i'm nervous i'm like i i can't <laughs> i can't live my life there's that feeling of like opening up twitter and then like no can't do it like i just i get nervous to look at my phone i like try and text people to be like please do not tell me what happens and this is for like <laughs> this is for like stupid joe like i'll get like oh god wwe battleground was last night the god <laughs> god forbid i get spoiled on what happened there but uh so my thoughts are with you i, I know what that life is like and uh I, I think you'll be fine i'll give you very quickly the worst one i ever had which was i was producing a breakfast show at the time of wrestlemania 30 so that was in the office at 4 a.m um and you can you you have to check what's going on in the world in case you need to change your show yeah and trending on twitter was thank you taker and I thought, well, they're not going to have ended the streak. That's fine. Oh, wow. And then I looked underneath, and I, what was it, twenty-one and one? Th- and I'm I sort, so, yeah. yeah, I'm sort of looking at that again. They haven't. They, <laughs> they, they just, they just can't have done. They, they. And I had to say to the person I was producing, I said, like, just give me five minutes. I just need to. And and then I didn't care about the spoilers. I just needed to know yeah. if the impossible had happened. That that was the worst time it happened to me. 
Oh, God. I, I mean, it all comes back to Brock somehow, doesn't it? Oh, I know. Always. Every always, time. Every time. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, you know, I uh, whatever. I get, we can reconvene maybe later this year and, and see where things are in terms of uh, in terms of all of our predictions about things. Uh, I, I hope that good things are ahead. I think they are. I'm trying to be a, a wrestling optimist, which I think is easy these days, but also can be a little a little difficult. But uh, I'm, I'm doing my best. I think that's a thing. And I think like we were saying, even if there's some part of wrestling you don't like that you can always at the moment, I mean, word for impact wrestling, which has improved so much that even if there's something you don't like, there'll be something somewhere else you, you can at least just cleanse your palate with. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Jack, this has been so much fun. I, I have really enjoyed nerding out about wrestling with you. I, I could do it even longer, but now that I know that uh, nobody is li- nobody is listening to us, <laughs> yeah, we've ran everyone out of town. But there's no, no. But I, I don't. I actually don't do that many of these. In fact, I don't think. I think you're the first other person's podcast I've done. I wouldn't do it with someone who wasn't as good as what they do as you are. So um, uh, even the bits where we weren't nerding out about wrestling, it's, it's been it's been a load of fun. And your podcast so important doing what you do. So thank you for making some space for me. That's a wrap. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, of course, most of all to Jack for his time. Uh, if you made it to the end of this and, and you're not a wrestling fan, congratulations. Uh, you've really accomplished something here. And, and if, you know, Jack and I can can motivate you to maybe check out the world of wrestling, whether it's WWE, whether it's an independent show, whether it's all elite wrestling. I don't know if any of this makes any sense to, to non-wrestling fans, but check it out because a lot of interesting things are happening. And please... Uh, first and foremost, check out Jack's podcast, uh, the LGBT sport podcast from the BBC. It's hugely influential. He's doing incredible stuff, and, and it's it's such an honor to get to chat with him and, and have him on my show, which, you know, uh, is, is maybe not possible without guys like him. So thank you, Jack. Thank you for listening. Until next time, Daniel Trainer for Same Team signing off. Bye. <laughs>